0: The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit LifeBaptistChurch.com. So we are two weeks into a message series that is focused on helping people work through struggling relationships and also help people strengthen healthy relationships. And I am doing this series in December because this is a time of year around the holidays that people just tend to get together a lot more. Families gather more, friends get together, co-workers have office parties. And sometimes those relationships are fantastic and it's kind of Norman Rockwellish in nature and everybody's happy and festive and lovely. And other times those relationships are strained and it kind of feels like you're on the set of a Jerry Springer episode. So instead of just avoiding people or biting our lip and making it through, The question becomes, how can we make things right? How can we foster healthy relationships so that we can celebrate the holidays in peace? Or another thought of that would be, imagine the freedom of knowing that the divisions and the problems and the dysfunction of this year does not have to follow you into next year. Last week, we began the series with a statement about forgiveness. It was in a text out of Mark chapter 11 in which Jesus gave one of the most general, universal statements you'll find anywhere in the Bible about forgiveness. Here's what he said Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Who should you forgive? Anyone. What should you forgive? Anything. When should you forgive? When you're praying. And if we're to pray without ceasing, be constantly in prayer, forgiveness should be a regular part of the believer's life. Our key truth of this last week was an unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. And we unpacked that truth with a number of statements. Unforgiveness is a sin that requires repentance. Also, unforgiveness holds people captive. It retains their debt and it keeps them obligated. Unforgiveness is often the outward manifestation of hidden sins, and unforgiveness says through actions what we would never say out loud. If there is an initial step that needs to be done to make sure we keep strong, healthy, united relationships, it's going to be that we learn to forgive and we forgive well. Today, we talk about confrontation. When someone has strayed from the truth, or when they're making foolish decisions, should you say anything? When someone is living in sin, knowingly or unknowingly, should you confront them? If you know that someone is upset with you, what should you do? Should you act as though there's nothing wrong? Should you act as though that person doesn't even exist? Should you just keep prolonging things, hoping it's going to go away? What are you supposed to do according to Scripture? Here's a basic truth that applies to all human relationships healthy relationships require strong communication. I say that because if you can't talk about things, or if you have to tiptoe around certain matters, or if you cannot speak the truth in love, the relationship suffers or it eventually severs. We need to be able to talk. So how do you work through the difficult stuff to maintain healthy relationships? This morning I'm going to be speaking on confrontation. Let me just kind of say from the beginning, there's very few people who like confrontation. Those are usually pretty aggressive people. They just like to stir the pot up and walk away and say, "All right, let's let them deal with it." Kind of let the let's throw the hand grenade in the room and see what happens. Okay? That's a scary side of confrontation. Some people just muddle through confrontation. They don't really know what to do, but they're just going to try to do the best they can. And other people have been biblically equipped to handle confrontation well. My prayer is that by the time this series is over, every single person who has heard this series will be biblically equipped to handle confrontation well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and God, the heart to do what is right, even when it's difficult. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say from the beginning, today's message is going to be different than most that I share. I love to go verse by verse through a Bible chapter or through a book of the Bible. I love to take a small section of Scripture. Even if I'm doing a standalone message, I would rather it be a small section of Scripture that we can dig out the truths of that particular text. But when the topic is as broad as confrontation, there is not one text that shares all of God's perspective on confrontation. In fact, there's at least three different main areas in which the Bible says we are to confront someone else. So all of those three areas also have multiple passages that help more fully develop those particular ideas. In addition to those texts, there are general teachings about our speech, our heart, our mindset, our attitude, and our goal in all conversational matters, not just the confrontational ones. We're told in Scripture that we are to speak truth in love, our speech is to be seasoned with salt, we are to have patience with the faults of others. We're to remember that love covers a multitude of sins and that pride leads before a fall. We're told to worry about nothing and to pray about everything. All of those passages are incredibly relevant in the conversation of confrontation because if you try to confront someone without prayer, without humility, without grace, without love, without patience, Just so that you can prove you're right and they're wrong, that thing is going to blow up on you fast. There's not going to be the hope of keeping it together because you just blew it up coming in with the wrong mindset. So the issue is not just what should we confront, it's also how should we confront it. Today, I'm setting up three biblical reasons for confrontation. Next week, I'm going to outline what is necessary for reconciliation to happen. Said a little bit differently, today is what we need to confront. Next week is how we need to confront it. These two kind of come together so that you can look at the outline of this week and the outline of next week, put them together like a confrontational checklist. Before you get into that difficult conversation, pull them out and make sure, is it something I'm supposed to confront? And am I in the right place, the right frame of mind, the right heart? Have I prayed about my words so that I confront things well? All of that being said, let's talk about the question, what are three biblical reasons for confrontation? This is your key truth this morning. Confrontation may be necessary to reestablish unity, to encourage wisdom, and to address sin. Confrontation may be necessary to reestablish unity, to encourage wisdom, and to address sin. Biblical confrontation is not an opportunity to air out every grievance and every problem you've ever had with anyone. If you happen to have ever watched the sitcom called Seinfeld, that is called Festivus. If you might remember, George Costanza's dad created his own holiday called Festivus, where one time a year, everybody just got everything off their chest. If you didn't like someone, their hair, their their style, what their house looked like, if you didn't like their beady little eyes staring at you, you just got it off your chest one day out of the year, all of your grievances. Okay, that is not biblical confrontation. Biblical confrontation is not open season on people. Biblical confrontation is addressing specific issues that will lead to greater problems if they are not corrected early. That's what biblical confrontation is about. So let's break down our big truth into more manageable chunks. Confrontation may be necessary to reestablish unity. Disunity needs to be addressed. Last week, I talked about the New Testament teachings on unity and oneness in us being together. We're taught to have unity of mind. Let no divisions be among you, that we are to be together in perfect harmony. We are told to maintain the bond of peace, pursue those things which make for peace, and as much as it depends on you to be at peace with all people. So when unity is broken, confrontation may be necessary to reestablish unity. One of the key texts in your Bible on this is Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Now, Matthew 5 talks about the importance of unity and how disunity disrupts our worship. Now, we also have to understand that this is still dealing with law. So, please let's frame out the conversation within context. This is a part of Jesus's sermon on the mount. And in this section, he is addressing the sins of the heart. Every Jew realized that there was sin that caused a breach in one's relationship with God and that sacrifices and offerings were intended to restore right relationship with God. But over time, the Jewish people began to rely more on the rabbinic traditions than they did on the clear teachings of Scripture. They focused on the outward sins, such as murder, adultery, divorce, and revenge and not focus as much on the inward sins, the heart sins like anger, lust, unfaithfulness, and forgiveness. All of these are mentioned in verses 21 through 42. It is this focus on the outward sins without being focused on the inward sins that caused Jesus to rebuke the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. Sin brings division and it brings destruction. So whether it is outward sin that others see or inward sin that only God can see, sin has to be addressed. So in verse 23, Jesus was saying, when you present your offering at the altar to make sure things are right between you and God, and there you remember you're not right between you and another brother, You need to leave your offering at the altar, go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and offer your offering. Another way of saying it would be, settle the breach between you and your brother before you try to settle the breach between you and God. Why? Because God doesn't want religious actions from unrepentant hearts. All through the Bible, You've seen this as an overwhelming thing that he's taught the people of Israel. For example, people of Israel back in Isaiah 1. He said, I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. And he goes on to say, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. He's saying, stop going through the motions of religious activity if you're not going to deal with the sin issue, if you're not going to deal with the heart issue behind it. He also says in Jeremiah 7, 9 and 10, will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and then come and stand before me in this house? which is called by my name and say we are delivered. It's like God's saying, don't do the religious games with him. He's like, if, if the heart's not right, if the sin is still something that you're going through and you're not willing to deal with that, don't continue to go through the religious motions. If you've not tried to make things right with your brother, he says, you're fooling yourself to think you can now be right with God. This is not a statement in your notes, but it might be one to write down. Anger in our hearts removes integrity in our worship. Anger in our hearts removes integrity in our worship. He's saying, stop what you're doing and go to your brother. Try to work things out with your brother. It might be that your brother hates you. It might be that your brother ignores you. It might be that your brother wants nothing to do with you. That's now going to be between your brother and God. The question is, have you done what you're supposed to do in order to make things right? Well, what if you're not responsible for the break? It doesn't matter. Chances are both parties have some level of guilt in any type of major division. Uh, But what if the person doesn't want to work things out? Again, that's between them and God. Based on what we find in Romans 12, 18, it says, if possible. That implies there's times it's not possible. So far as it depends on you. The issue is not, can you change them? The issue is, are you going to address it? It says, be at peace with all men. Have you done what is necessary to make things right? Here's the next part. Of our statement. Confrontation may be necessary to reestablish unity, also to encourage wisdom. Foolish choices need to be addressed with biblical wisdom. Romans chapter 8 tells us that God's desire for his people is that they are transformed into the image of Christ. That transformational process is referred to as sanctification, and there's many pieces a part of the sanctification process, but there's a lot in which the Word of God is absolutely crucial for the sanctification process. That is, part of our sanctification comes through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. We need to hear what God's Word says. Part of our sanctification comes through our personal study and application of God's Word. And also another part of our sanctification comes as other believers in a community of believers is now coming and sharing biblical wisdom as it applies to our life. All of those are a part of the sanctification process. So God's Word provides both truth as well as wisdom. Truth helps us know what is right. Wisdom helps us live what is right. The word wisdom, it comes from a word that means skill. A wise person is someone who skillfully navigates life in a way that honors God. That's what wisdom is all about. So listen to these verses as they describe the aspects of listening to advice Listening to counsel and having people speak wisdom into your life, even if it's uncomfortable. Here's the first passage. Proverbs 12, 15. <clears throat> the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. This is not in your notes, but you can write it off to the side. Proverbs sixteen twenty five says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but it ends in the way of death. In other words, you can be completely convinced that you're right and still be on a pathway of death and destruction. What should you do to make sure that you don't take that path? He says, listen to wisdom. Listen to the wise as they speak in. Proverbs thirteen ten. Pride leads to conflict and those who take advice are wise. Why do we get upset when somebody confronts us? Why do we die on hills that are not worth dying on? Pride. He said, pride leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Do you want to succeed? Do you want things to go well in your life? He's saying, if that's the case, you need to listen to a multitude of counselors as they speak in wisdom. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. To walk with the wise means you habitually, regularly, continually hang out with wise people. Do you know what's going to happen when you regularly, habitually, continually hang out with wise people who love you? They're going to speak wisdom into your life. If you hang out with fools... Here's what I can tell you will happen. Based on Scripture, you will pick up their foolish ways, and they will tell you that your foolish choices are great, and you both go towards destruction. How do you avoid that? He says, listen to wisdom. That is why God has brought wisdom. There are four entire books in our Bible that are referred to as wisdom literature, wisdom genre, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, the book of Job, and then you go into the New Testament, and there's the book of James. Listen to what James tells us, chapter 5, 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's put these pieces together for just a moment. Believers are taught to listen to biblical advice to seek a multitude of counselors and to be in relationships with wise people who will speak wisdom into their lives. When another person, believer, strays from the truth, whether intentionally or unintentionally, other believers are to help them come back onto a pathway of truth to save them from further problems and issues down the road. The reality is everyone does not see everything Clearly, closeness to a situation, emotion in a situation, frustration in a situation leads to confusion in that situation. We've all had different experiences in our life. And many times God will drop someone in your life at just the right time who has gone through what you're currently going through that God taught wisdom to and he drops them there as a warning sign to say, listen to them, they've been where you are, they know what you're looking at right now and I've already taught them this lesson. Did you know life is too short for all of us to make all the mistakes? It's okay to learn from some others. It's okay for us to say, man, I'm confused in this. I don't know what the next step needs to be. And to seek out counsel, listen, oh, listen, this is big, this is big, this is big, listen, who not only loves me, but will also tell me the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. Do you know what we'll do sometimes? We will seek out people who we know will already take our side. And then we say, I'm looking for biblical wisdom. No, you're not. You're looking for affirmation. There's a difference between the two. Talk to people who love you. Talk to people who have been where you've been. Talk to people who have some wisdom in this. Wisdom in this. That is, they have wisely navigated this situation before. Did you know everybody does not have wisdom in every area? There are some people who are wise in relationships and they are fools with their finances. You don't go to that person and say, can you help me balance my checkbook? That's that's bad move right there. But if you've seen that they wisely navigate relationships in a way that honors God, you go and say, I'm in this situation, could you tell me about this? Okay, everybody doesn't have wisdom in the same areas. So here's our Actually, let me give you this one. I think this is in your notes. I don't think there's a slide for it, but here it is. Not all Christian advice is biblical wisdom. Not all Christian advice is biblical wisdom. Even though it came from a Christian does not mean it is biblical wisdom. How do you know what is biblical wisdom? Go to the Word. Go to the Word. Go to the Word. Go to the Word. If you find it in the Word, hold on to it. you don't find it in the Word, it might be human wisdom that's coming through a Christian. And we don't need that because I know I've been wrong, and chances are you've been wrong, and you put a bunch of wrong people in trying to give advice to other people in bad situations, and all of a sudden everybody's walking around like a bunch of idiots. Go to the Word. What does the Word say? Here's the last part Confrontation, baby, necessary to reestablish unity, to encourage wisdom, and to address sin. Sin has to be addressed. You don't ever go looking for sin. This is not the Salem witch trials. But when sin falls out in front of you, you cannot turn a blind eye and say, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I don't have to deal with it. Sin needs to be addressed. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 is one of the premier passages on addressing sin. If your brother sins, clear context, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If your brother sins, the word sins means missing the mark. Falling short of God's standard. All sin is an offense against God. All sin corrupts. And all sin eventually divides the fellowship of believers. The word brother is used in a generic sense of any believer, both male and female. That happens multiple times in the New Testament. If another believer sins, we are to go to that believer in private and show him his fault. Other translations use the word reprove or show. Uh, That word, it simply means to put light upon or to expose. What it's saying is you go to that other believer, you bring light into that situation so that it exposes the sin for what it is. So if the believer recognizes that sin and repents of that sin, no further confrontation is needed. Step one is to go to that brother in private, not share their sin with eight other people, not write out their sin on a prayer card and drop that joker in the offering plate, not put a passive-aggressive post on social media like, I hate it when people do, blah, 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 and it's like literally everything that person just did. Okay, that's, that's not biblical. It's not right. If repentance Doesn't happen at step number one. It says that you are to take one or two witnesses back so that the facts are confirmed and so that in this small group, hopefully repentance is encouraged. This procedure of confirming the facts by several witnesses was set forth by Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 19. It was to guard against a person being slandered or spitefully accused of sin or a crime. In the New Testament, that same principle is in place to protect church leaders from abuse and unjust accusations. The Apostle Paul told Timothy... Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. But then he goes beyond that to say, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest may also be fearful of sinning. What he's not saying is you don't confront an elder. It's not that there's one particular position that's off limits. What he's saying is, Make sure there's multiple witnesses before you confront that elder. And if that person continues to sin, he says expose the sin before others. If repentance happens with two or three witnesses, the confrontation ends there. But if repentance does not happen at that stage, that person's sin is to be brought before the church so that the church can encourage repentance if it is not brought before the church and repentance dealt with at that level, it says that that believer is to be removed from fellowship or as Jesus said, let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. A Gentile within that context, a non-Jew, is someone who, as they held on to their paganism, they have no part in covenant community, no part in worship, no part in daily life as Jews. Tax collectors, many of which were Jewish, were considered to be a traitor against their own people, and they were hated even more than a pagan Gentile. Here's what Jesus is saying. When sin becomes known, and when multiple attempts have been made to try to deal with the sin, and that person chooses to cling to that sin, hold on to that sin. He says they are to be removed from fellowship in the church. The unrepentant believer is no longer to enjoy the fellowship of the church, the encouragement of the church, or the benefits of the church. And this final step is not optional. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 says now we command you brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you keep away from every brother who leads an unholy life. And the And a couple of verses later, he says, if anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he may be put to open shame. If that person is truly a Christian, God is not turning his back on them. But God is allowing them to experience the fullness of their sinful choices. So why should we take that last step? One, Scripture clearly tells us to do that. You might be wondering, does life practice church discipline like Matthew 18 just outlined? The answer is yes. I praise God that over the years, we've had hundreds of encounters that have been sufficiently addressed at step number one. It was one believer going to another believer, repentance happened, and it ended there. There have been a couple of dozen times in which those encounters have gone to step number two, and it was addressed there and sufficiently dealt with there. We've also had several encounters in which it would have gone to step number three other than the person removed themselves From fellowship within this body, and they chose to go elsewhere out from underneath the leadership of this church. I can tell you from experience confronting sin is gonna be one of the most difficult things you'll ever have to do. But it's one of the most necessary things to love someone well. The purpose of church discipline is not punishment. It's protection. It is not to agitate the situation. It is to awaken the sinner. It's in that moment of going through the biblical steps that we are attempting to protect and to warn and to call a believer back from what will surely lead to destruction, hurt, and pain. It's also by going through these steps that we are protecting the purity of the church, the testimony of the church, and the effectiveness of the church. Now, here's a difficult one. Who should do the confronting? Because some people are like, praise God, I'm not the pastor and I don't have to deal with that. Who should do the confronting? Every believer who is aware of the sin. It is not that this type of confrontation is reserved for elders and pastors and leaders. It is a part of the church being the church. When should you confront sin? Listen, confront it as soon as possible while adhering to scriptural precedents. The longer sin goes unaddressed, the more division, the more destruction the more devastation it will cause. Sin never stays where you leave it. If it's not addressed, it will spread. And when it spreads, it hurts every other person around them. And when it begins to hurt others around them, You will find more relationships getting broken, more relationships being divided, more people who they cannot worship God in freedom because they got something against this guy and against this guy and against this guy. You all know worship is not just what we sing on Sunday, but let me just say this. Could it be that one of the reasons we can't sing with our heart is because we've not dealt with our brother as we should? Sometimes the song is gone. Sometimes the joy is gone. Not because he is any less glorious, but rather that we have chosen to say, I'm not going to deal with that because that's uncomfortable. How many of you are enjoying the series so far? Listen. I fully recognize this does not give warm fuzzies in the holidays. But could you imagine what it would be like if every believer who's sitting in this church said, you know what? I'm not okay with my relationships being destroyed around me. I know what Scripture says. I need to address them. So please, after this week, because remember this week, is what should we confront, next week is how should we confront it. So if you make a list of everyone you need to confront this week, and you get on the phone this afternoon, and you start blowing up France all around town, every relationship, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Just make your list and start praying over the list. And next week, let's come back and let's talk about how do we address it. Because if our heart's not right, if our words are not right, if the goal is not right, did you know the goal is not to prove them wrong? The goal is to reconcile the relationship. If we miss those things, we jump out the wrong way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, even if it's tough. God, we ask you today that you would give us the encouragement we need to prayerfully sit before you with our relationships and say, God, what are the ones that need to be addressed? What are the ones that need to be healed? And Lord, may we not only confront the things that you're telling us to confront, but may we confront it in a way that honors you. May we do it in wisdom. God, we love you. We thank you for the fact that you've not only created us to know you and to be in relationship with you, but you've created us as relational beings who are a part of an amazing family in the family of God. We pray, God, that we would walk wisely in those relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.